Good evening, everyone. I'm very excited to be with you here once again on this lovely Friday night for our final Trad Queen Story Hour of the week. Somebody tweeted out, and I was just looking for it, and I couldn't find it. They said, what classes do you think should be required learning for American students? Now, they said one class, but I picked like four because I think there's definitely more than one that's really important. One of the things that's really important to me that I have found great value in has been the study of nutrition because I think that Americans do not, first of all, they know for a fact that people highly underestimate how much they eat. Um, and another thing they found is that low carb doesn't matter. Intermediate fasting doesn't matter. Low fat doesn't matter. The only thing that works for losing weight is coming to terms with how many calories you're eating and you do that by tracking your calories. So we're actually going to talk about this a little bit before we get started on tonight's show. And the title of this article from the Daily Mail is Can't Stick to a Diet and Exercise Routine? Get to bed earlier, scientists say, which makes perfect sense to me. Because when you don't get much sleep, you spike your cortisol levels and you make it much more likely that you're going to splurge, you're going to eat something you don't intend, or you're going to be like cranky, irritable, angry. Your mood can certainly affect what you eat. And I think it can make it much more likely that you lose track of your long-term goals, which you have to keep in mind constantly when you're trying to eat healthier because that's not something you see results from on day one. Getting at least seven hours of sleep every night will help you stick to a weight loss and exercise routine, a study shows. Researchers at the University of Pittsburgh signed up 125 middle-aged adults, mostly women who are overweight or obese, to a year-long fitness program. Participants were asked, participants were tasked with following a calorie-restricted diet and upping their daily exercise. Although adherence to the plan dwindled in both groups over time, of course, scientists found that those who who were better slept were more likely to eat less and exercise more. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, whom we now no longer trust, but we'll hear what they have to say on this matter, says that all adults should get at least seven hours of sleep every night. Well, I think that's a fair thing to say. But estimates suggest that as much as one in three consistently fail to hit this level. Getting just three nights of too little sleep triggers a dip in mental and physical health, causing a decline in concentration, mood, and even breathing problems. Interesting, I didn't know that. There's even evidence that not hitting seven hours a night makes someone more likely to overeat and crave fatty, salty, sugary snacks over whole foods. That is very interesting. I wonder why that is. In the study, 9 in 10 participants were females and half had a BMI between 27 and 44, putting them in the overweight and obese categories. All participants were signed up for a weight loss program and had data on their sleep adherence and adherence to the program taken at the start at month 6 and at month 12. Adherence to the weight loss program was measured by percentages of the group in intervention sessions attended, percentage of days in which each participant ate between 85 to 115% of their recommended daily calories, and changes in body, daily duration of moderate or vigorous physical activity. Sleep was scored from 0 to 6, with 6 being the highest score based on the below sleep factors. These were consistency, satisfaction, alertness, timing, efficiency, that is time in bed while actually asleep, and duration. Each factor was scored one for good or zero for poor. Sleep was scored using a patient questionnaire, a sleep diary, and a seven-day 
reading from a wrist-worn device that recorded sleep, waking activity, and rest. Well, it sounds like they were very thorough with how they researched this, but it also sounds like they're not entirely sure how sleep affects diet and exercise. This is the other thing I wanted to point out too, if we can get there. Daily Mail has put this wonderful new little pop-up thing on their article, so I have to hit escape a whole lot before we load a new article for them. And this is exactly one of the things that I found while I was losing weight, and that is that exercise won't help you lose weight, who say you should follow this advice to beat the bolt. Okay, exercise plays, quote, very little role in weight loss and expert claims. Exercise is grossly exaggerated as an easy fix to tackle obesity problems. Professor Spector urged people to look at changing their diets. That's correct. One of the things that one of my earliest personal trainers told me, actually the only personal trainer I ever had, He told me that abs are made in the kitchen and I believed him 100%. And so I started, you know, tracking all my calories and making sure that I was not overeating. And that really helped me meet my goals. Whereas people who just hit the gym and they assume that they'll be able to burn like a thousand calories per workout session, very often disappointed. This is not the case. We're very lucky that our bodies can conserve all of this energy and it makes sure that we're not likely to lose it. Pretty much no matter how hard we exercise, it's actually a really cool thing, but it's something people need to be aware of before they join the gym and get really frustrated because they can't exercise their way out of a bad diet. You really can't outrun a bad diet, unfortunately. Well, before we get started, let's see what you guys have to say. Smile Everybody is here. Yay. Happy to hear that. Unhighly Snipes says, I'm so pissed about the world doll debacle. We are going to talk about that today. You'll never guess who is in charge of that particular censorship. Um, let's see here. Everybody Smile says, calories in, calories out. That's correct. CB says, what well, looks like we're in trouble. I only got three hours of sleep last night. What the heck, dude? You got to get more than that. That is not enough sleep. Although, to be fair, for like new parents and stuff like that, and people with insomnia is absolutely crazy. It's really something that you have to find a way around. Like you just, I don't know. Insomnia is really tough. I've known lots of people who had insomnia. Very, very difficult to work with. Very hard to deal with for sure. And I'm entirely sympathetic. Wake Up Waverly is here. Wonderful. Happy to hear it. Serenko says, A, it's a simplification, but that's kind of the point. It is an easy way of conceptualizing it. And what is that reference to? Enigma Eustim says, sorry, Lids, the calorie argument is an oversimplification. Let me stop you right there. Yes, it is an oversimplification. No, that doesn't mean it's ineffective. If you tell people something very simple that they can do in their daily lives, that is something they're going to follow through on. They're like, oh, okay. That's what I have to do, and that's going to help me lose weight and get healthy. Perfect. I'm on it. That's something that I can do. When you're trying to tell people how to get themselves healthy, it has to be simple. And it actually doesn't matter if you think it's an oversimplification, if it's something that helps people stick to something. As far as I'm concerned, that's way more important than giving them the complete rundown of all the macros and all the required nutrients and all the exercises they should be doing. That overwhelms people. It's too complicated. No one's going to stick with it. They're just going to be like, oh my gosh, this is way too much. I'm out. I'm just going to go home and eat some chips because I know how to do that. Giving them something simple that they can do, like use your phone to track your MyFitnessPal calories, that's the way forward. And this is something that has worked for me. I'm only telling you my personal experience. It worked for me. I lost over 50 pounds and I kept it off for over half a decade until I started on this new medicine and took steroids. That was really fun. Serenko says exercise is a supplement to a good diet. Yeah, I think exercise is a really good way to get yourself to be more flexible, to make yourself feel better. Although that never really seems to cut it for me. 
and keep yourself in like fighting shape and to make sure that you are able to do all the things that you want to do. Let's retweet Andy here real quick, even though I have way too many tabs open. Andy says, tonight, right-wing extremists are furious over the latest revisions to Roald Dahl Classics, Charlie and the Anti-Racist Chocolate Factory, and James and the Morbidly Brave Peach. Thank you, dear. That is a wonderful analysis. That is one of the things we're going to be talking about. How did you know? Uh, Everybody Smile says, nailed it, Sir Ranko Productions. Yes. Yes, it is. A, it is kind of an oversimplification, but it's necessary to tell people how to make the most of their situation. And a, a lot of Americans are really going to need the help. I was reading a study that said over half the world's population is going to be obese in just a few years. And I was like, okay, we need to talk about this and we need to make it simple for people. We need to make it something that they can easily do. And counting calories is an easy way to go. All right, you guys, let's talk about it. Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary accuses AOC of killing jobs by the thousands and tears into uninvestable Democrat-led states like New York and California over insane high-tax policies that deter businesses. He mentioned three states that he called uninvestable, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And I think he's right about all of them. The Canadian investor, 68, said AOC is great at killing jobs. She kills jobs by the thousands. Wow, he's not pulling punches. Good for him. He said Democrat-led states like New York, California, Massachusetts are uninvestable. He's not wrong. People are leaving those states in droves. O'Leary, whose net worth is an estimated $400 million, said businesses are deterred by punitive high-tax policies. That's right. You're being punished for owning a business. Why would you ever take your business to that state? Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary has accused AOC of killing jobs by the thousands. He singled out left-wing firebrand AOC for criticism and pointed to her successful efforts to prevent Amazon opening a major office in New York City in 2019. I don't put companies here in New York anymore or in Massachusetts or New Jersey or California. Those states are uninvestable, O'Leary told CNN this morning on Friday. The policy here in New York is insane. The taxes are too high. And this is a very wealthy man who could probably make it work even if the taxes were super high, but he won't. He just won't invest there anymore because it's not a good investment. Wild to me. He added, AOC is great at killing jobs. She kills them in the thousands. O'Leary, whose net worth is estimated at $400 million, this we know... She threatened to sue Amazon if they created jobs. This is a reality. That's exactly what she did. AOC described Amazon's decision to pull out of the plan in 2019 amid fierce Democrat opposition as incredible, but supporters of the complex claimed it would have generated up to 40,000 jobs, which justified the tax breaks. O'Leary said he chooses to put businesses in cities like Fargo, North Dakota, which offers tax incentives, payments in lieu of taxes, and tax credits. That's a great way to get companies to invest in your city. What a great approach. Uh, Let's see here. (laughs) He added that he's called out Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, and told her, we've got to move the companies out of your state because you're not investable anymore. You're punishing people if they're successful. You overtax them. You hit them with a super tax. The regulatory environment is punitive, he added. He also gave the example of a troubled project he was involved with upstate New York, trying to build a global data center near Niagara Falls. Eventually it got so bad, he said, when the politicians in the local region and the state policy, we moved it to Norway. They literally moved us company out of this country to a different nation because of the punitive tax policies of New York. Wow. 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 Crazy. 
All the jobs went to Norway. Norway has them now. Thousands of jobs coming out of that, he said. O'Leary is one of the country's best-known investors thanks to his position in the Shark Tank lineup. He courted controversy in February for hinting getting rich was more important than family. Yeah, that's probably not true. He tweeted, you may lose your wife, you may lose your dog, your mother may hate you. None of those things matter. What matters is that you achieve success and become free. Then you can do whatever you like. Well, if what you like is to have your dog and your mother and your wife, then you're not going to get those things if you sacrifice it all for your work. But he's the investor with $400 million, so he obviously knows what he's talking about, at least in this field. Eric Belchunas, a Bloomberg analyst, responded, that sounds more like a definition of hell. Yeah. O'Leary's $400 million net worth came to the Canadian businessman largely after the sale of his software company, SoftKey, for more than $3.5 billion. But he's not immune to bad investments. He lost $15 million he was paid by FTX to endorse the company before it collapsed last year. Oof, yikes. His comments about New York and California come amid rising disquiet about homelessness and high taxes in the city. In January 2020, New York State introduced sweeping criminal justice legislation that eliminated cash bail for the majority of misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies, including robberies. New York, where the average rent is now more than $5,200 a month, lost more residents than any other state between April 2021 and July 2020, excuse me, April 2020 and July 2021, many of whom fled a staunch set of pandemic restrictions and high taxes for friendlier business environments, according to MarketWatch. A lot of those people went to Florida, too, which was fascinating, including AOC for vacation. Just throwing that out there. Crime in Manhattan has surged 23.5% in 2022 as robberies, rapes, and felony assaults all climbed, though murders and shootings both decreased by double digits. Interesting. The state of California lost over 500,000 residents between 2020 and 2022. It's the fourth largest decrease in the country at the time behind New York, Illinois, and Louisiana. Not only are California lawmakers pushing legislation that would impose a new tax on the state's wealthiest residents, there's also rising crime and a homelessness problem. That's right. I mean, this doesn't surprise any of us. But I was intrigued to see Massachusetts on that list because I was actually just reading the other day about how people are actually fleeing Massachusetts as well to the point where they are going to have a problem if something doesn't change. Now, one of the interesting things about these states is that they never seem to make the connection that their policies are what's driving people away. I don't think that anyone in Massachusetts thinks that, like, I certainly don't think someone like Elizabeth Warren thinks that she's going to need to change the way she does business in order to get people to stay in her state. Um, I think they just think that it's just stubborn Republicans who just want to have things their own way who are trying to leave. But that's not the case at all. You're losing people who would be providing jobs to your state because you refuse to even look at taxes. You think it's a good thing that everyone is taxed so heavily. Um, but the cost of living is too high. The taxes are too high. It's difficult to find, it's difficult to find work because businesses won't invest here, which it becomes a serious problem when you can't find employees because people are leaving. And then the companies themselves leave and the cost of living is too high for regular people to live here. And eventually you're pretty much just left with, what, college students in Massachusetts and in California? I guess you just have like some old people and stuff. And then in New York City, you have diehard New Yorkers. And man, I really don't see a way forward for these states unless they decide to change these policies. Well, 
I don't really know that it's going to happen. You guys let me know if you think that I'm wrong on this front for sure. But I don't know. Andy says, quitting alcohol was the fastest 50 pounds I ever lost. Yeah, absolutely. Alcohol is one of those things that as soon as you should, as soon as you drink it, turns directly into sugar. Really, really not good for your metabolism. Niagara Falls, slowly I turn step by step. Yes, stay away from the edge at Niagara Falls. KC says, keep the diet method simple is correct. Also keep the food within it simple. Yes, we found that one of the best things to do is buy simple ingredients, cook them yourself, make sure that they don't have things like nasty seed oils and all this other stuff that everybody's always talking about. I personally think the combination of sugar and seed oils is probably where the problem is. Um, But the bigger problem might just be fast food because all of that stuff is soaked in seed oils and it's really, really bad for you. Um, but I don't see, again, I don't see much of that changing either. That's just something to certainly avoid going forward. Now, this is everybody's favorite. This is Nina Jankowitz, the former disinformation czar. Guess what she's doing now? She's fundraising to launch a defamation suit against Fox News. If you guys have any interest in the legal system, let me know in the chat here. I don't have any say on what goes on with this legal stuff. So I'm really curious what you guys think. This says from the Post Millennial, in a Thursday video uploaded to YouTube with an accompanying GoFundMe page, the former Ministry of Truth head announced the lawsuit. Nina Jankowitz, the former Biden administration official who was slated to head the Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board to fight, quote, misinformation before resigning a month after taking the position, is pleading for financial support to sue Fox News for their alleged malicious, reckless lies about her. Okay, because she doesn't like misinformation, remember? On a Thursday video uploaded to YouTube with an accompanying, accompanying GoFundMe page, the former Ministry of Truth had announced the lawsuit. My name is Nina Jankowitz. I'm asking for your financial support of a lawsuit I want to bring against Fox News for their malicious, reckless lies against me, she began. A year ago, I, today, a year ago today, I realized a lifelong dream and entered public service as a U.S. government official. I spent the better part of a decade working on both sides of the aisle to counter disinformation. I published two books and I've always been an advocate for free expression. Right, 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 right. This is why you really wanted to censor everybody because you didn't disagree with them because you disagreed with them. She continued arguing that her main thesis in her work is, we can't fight disinformation simply by removing content or restricted speech. Sure, sure. That's what she'll say right up until she can get away with it. The former disinformation czar went on to explain her job within the administration, making it sound like an innocuous role focused on privacy and civil liberties. Oh, good for her. What a hero. On March 2nd, 2022, I began a job leading the new entity within the Department of Homeland Security called the Disinformation Governance Board, she said. My role was to make sure different entities across DHS were coordinated to bring the latest research to bear in their department and to help the department ensure that its policies about its existing counter-disinformation work were grounded in American values, privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties. This sounds like a lawyer wrote it for her. That's all the board was, she claimed. It didn't have any ability or the authority to act on its own. She went on to blame Fox News coverage for spreading, quote, conspiracy theories about her to, quote, tens of millions of people. Wow, so Fox News really does have a reach, huh? Because I've been told by leftists that Fox News is dying. It's only watched by boomers. Nobody cares what they have to say. Admittedly, they completely disregard people like Tucker Carlson and Greg Gutfeld, who actually pull much better numbers than a lot of late night comedians. 
After my position was announced, baseless claims that the board was an Orwellian ministry of truth and I was President Biden's chief censor spread. All right, post-millennial, I don't think this is the correct spelling of censor, S-E-N-S. I think it should be C-E-N-S-O-R. Spread. Even though the board was nothing to do with arbitrating or restricting free speech, speech, excuse me, Fox News launched overly personalized, false, and incendiary coverage of me mainstreaming online conspiracy theories to tens of millions of Americans. Boo-hoo. In a May 2022 appearance on CNN, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas argued that the comparisons of the Disinformation Governance Board to the Ministry of the Truth of the dystopian George Orwell novel 1984 were false, claiming that it works to ensure that the way in which we address threats... The connectivity between threats and acts of violence are addressed without infringing on free speech, protecting civil rights and civil liberties, the right of privacy. Again, what do I keep telling you guys? This is too vague. When somebody says something really vague like this, they're lying. Because without giving you details, they can get away with anything. If you want to pin somebody on something like this, demand details. Demand exact examples of how this is going to work. No one did this with Mayorkas because I believe it was CNN. Yeah. So no one ever asked him, like, how exactly are you planning to do that? What safeguards are going to be in place? How are you going to make sure that nobody's civil liberties are ever violated? Of course, they didn't ask him but because they don't care because they're on his side. According to Mayorkas, while we probably could have done a better job of communicating what it does and does not do, the criticisms of the board are precisely the opposite of what this small working group within the Department of Homeland Security will do. The program was put on an indefinite pause that month, just weeks after it was announced, prompting Jankowitz to resign. They lied about my role, she continued in the video, before clips of Fox News hosts criticizing her were shown. So these hosts criticized her, and she took that personally. And I understand, but at the same time, that's not exactly defamatory for someone to criticize you or to think that you are censorious. Was hired to police domestic social media use, period. Tucker Carlson can be heard saying, Sean Hannity was seen calling Jankowitz the administration's official purveyor of truth. These are all opinions. I don't think she has a case here. You guys tell me what you think. Jankowitz cut in, they lied about and completely manufactured my past statements. A clip from Fox and Friends then played featuring one host calling it chilling that this disinformation czar thinks it's okay for her to edit your speech. They called me a liar, Jankowitz continued before playing several more criticisms of her from Fox News. They called me crazy and they told their audience I was evil, she said. I quickly started receiving violent threats as a result of this coverage. I was a week away from becoming a mom. Fox didn't seem to mind. Who knew that? Did anyone know that? Did she tell anyone she was pregnant? And honestly, if you're going to take on a really high-stress job right before you have a baby, I don't know what to tell you. That's probably not the right timing for you, even if it was something you'd been gunning for your whole life. Maybe you should think about the timing. I resigned from my position on May 18th. Fox seemed happy about that, she continued, but they still continued to lie about me, mentioning in most weeks for the rest of 2022. Fox News irrevocably changed my life when they force-fed lies about me to tens of millions of their viewers. Pretty sure they didn't force-feed anything to anyone, let's be real. These people turn on the TV voluntarily, and they listen to what the commentators say because they think they're telling them the truth. Tens of thousands have harassed me online. Hundreds have violently threatened me, Jankowitz complained. 
In addition to the deferral of my dream of serving my country, I've lost something irreplaceable. Peace with my son during his first year in the world. See, that's why you shouldn't take on this super high stress job right before your kid is born. A month before your child is born is not the time to be taking on a new powerful position in the U.S. government. I'm sorry, that's kind of just the role that ladies have to play. Uh, If you want to be a good mom, you can't take on something that's going to take you away from your child for most of the day. (sighs) Fox can't keep getting away with targeting Americans with their hateful rhetoric and lies. Trying to silence professionals doing their jobs is not journalism, it's vigilantism, and it's ruining lives. That's why I'm seeking justice. So please, donate what you can and share this with anybody who believes in fighting for the truth. Thank you so much for any help you can give. In August, the disinformation board was formally terminated, according to CNN. The GoFundMe created by Jankowitz has garnered $6,921 out of her $100,000 goal so far. Any funds raised in excess of protecting me and my family will be used to support other women and people of intersectional identities, uh huh, who find themselves in a situation similar to mine, she added in the description. So, literally, what she's doing right here is she's trying to censor Fox News for having the wrong opinions of her. Literally, by saying they lied about me by saying that I would censor people who held the wrong opinions. Boo. Who, who, therefore, my response is to try to censor people who had the wrong opinions of me. If you're tracking, she's proving them 100% correct. And she'll never see the irony because no one will ever tell her. Like, she is, she is the embodiment of everything that she claims not to be. I'll just put it that way because I don't want to be mean. Um, I don't ever believe that she would have done anything remotely justifiable in her position as disinformations are. That is a, a seriously dystopian title and she would have been doing incredibly dystopian work. So let's not BS ourselves about that. No matter what she wants us to believe, she strikes me as an incredibly manipulative person and someone who would gaslight you right into the ground. Because that's literally what she's doing here. They were mean to me. They told lies about me. I would never try to censor anyone. Please support me as I attempt to censor Fox News. Give me a break. This person is a dangerous hypocrite and really, really inconsistent morally between what she says she does and doesn't want to do and what she actually does. Let's get some consistency. Jeez. All right. St. Miles says, what a butt hurt. Sigh. I'm not sure what a butt hurt is, but yes, she definitely is. Lori says, in other words, her feelings were hurt. Too bad. She means her truth. Yes, 100%. St. Miles says, right, she is for free speech. Yeah, I don't believe her either. CB says, it sounds like a lawsuit that you can bring for headlines or to harm the target, not to win. Yeah, I think so too, but I don't think it's going to have the effect that she thinks it's going to have. I really don't. Um, I don't know how much she thinks people in general care about her but I think she might be overblowing it a little bit. I mean, I know this job was super important to her, but she only became a thing because she got this job. And then when she resigned from it, she then disappeared. And I guess she's like um, an ambassador to the UK or something. No, I'm not sure what she's doing, but she got a different position. So she's fine. She's going to be fine. She's going to be working in the government, which is what she was really wanting to do. But geez, what a terrible person. We'll see how that GoFundMe goes for her. All right, you guys, speaking of horrible social justice warriors, let's talk about the people who are behind the censorship of the rolled doll books. 
Rolled doll books were neutered. Okay, follow me here. By woke consultants aged 8 to 30. That I don't understand, so put a pin in that. Led by non-binary, asexual, polyamorous relationship anarchist who's on the autism spectrum. So this person is literally the embodiment of intersectional woke politics. So she is, quote, non-binary, but she's also asexual and she's in a polyamorous relationship. Um, she's also an anarchist, which she has to say, um, who is on the autism spectrum. So she's a victim in so many ways, guys, you don't even know. You should really feel bad for her. Um, I'd be shocked if she didn't have blue hair. I actually don't think she does, but she probably should given everything we know about her. Now, the only thing I don't understand about this headline is that the ages were given to be eight to 30. My understanding was that this whole crew, all of them were under 30 years old, which tracks perfectly with how they were trying to censor these words. The effort by inclusion consultants to sanitize the collective works of famed children's author Roald Dahl has caused a stir across the literary world. Penguin Random House publishers employed woke UK-based consultant agencies, Inclusive Minds, to take on the project. The consultant team was led by a woman who described herself as non-binary, asexual, polyamorous, relationship anarchist who is on the autism spectrum. The bodlerization of Dahl's books, which broadly included eliminating language deemed insensitive and non-inclusive, was done largely by a UK-based group of consultants from Inclusive Minds. The organization is charged with their mission of making mainstream books represent every child. So it's just plain old censorship. And I'm not familiar with bodlerization. If you guys are, B-O-W-D-E-R, B, excuse me. B-O-W-D-L-E-R, Bodlerization. They do this by enlisting sensitivity readers and inclusion ambassadors to suggest edits to books that would scrub them of the derogatory language and harmful assumptions about race, class, and so on. In the case of Roald Dahl debacle, which has been lambasted across by a number of countries by readers and publications alike, Joe Ross Barrett was at the head of the project. This is her. I am, again, shocked that she doesn't have blue hair. She recently departed Inclusive Minds to become a full-time DEI professional. Of course she did. Describes herself as all of the above adjectives. Ross Barrett, who recently departed Inclusive Minds to become a full-time DEI professional, the former project manager at the woke firm National Review, reported that Ross Barrett posted on LinkedIn in 2022 that she was working on a secret project involving the work of well-known children's authors. In a profile of Barrett that remains on the Inclusive Minds site, they, them is described as a writer. Okay, so she literally uses the they, them pronouns. Give me a break. This person is a living caricature. We're going to talk about they, them pronouns here in just a minute because that's not something you want on your resume, it turns out. Described as a writer and editor with a passion for championing inclusive content and policies. Barrett's previous work has been, oh my gosh, I need a copy editor. So, Barrett's previously work has been published in the Bi-Ible, get it, because she's bi, an anthology about bisexuality and related identities, an AZE journal, an online magazine for aromantic spectrum, asexual spectrum, and agender people. But she's literally in a relationship, not just a relationship, but a polyamorous relationship. So she's either completely inconsistent or she's lying about one or more of these identities. 
The profile continues. Joe is an autistic non-bi... Oh, my gosh. I can't. She's just running through all of her identities with the hope of getting that perfect intersectional plaid where all the lines overlap just perfectly. And you have... The only problem is that she has white skin. I'm sorry. You can never recover from that. You will never be enough of a victim to rid yourself of the original sin of whiteness. And you have to know that. Sorry. You should probably resign so a person of color can take your position. They work with inclusive minds to help authors and publishers make their books more authentically representative of marginalized groups and have provided workshops and talks at A Place at the Table 2020 and the UK Asexuality Conference 2019. A group of inclusivity ambassadors and sensitivity readers aged 8 to 30 reported to Ross Barrett as the team worked to, to cleanse the collective works of Dahl. Yeah, cleansing. That's a good way to put it. The Witches. Goodness. I haven't read that one. That's one of the few I haven't read. I really, really liked um, Danny and the Champion of the World. That was one of my favorite ones. I really loved the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, Matilda, I didn't really watch or get into. I didn't really identify with the protagonist of the book, but I did love James and the Giant Peach and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. The team together dismantled many of the colorful phrases and names that he employed in his writing. In the Twits, descriptions of appearances had been peeled back. Mrs. Twits' fearful ugliness has been cut to ugliness, and Mrs. Hoppy in SEO Trot is not an attractive middle-aged lady, but a kind middle-aged lady. Passages not written by Dahl, who died in 1990, have also been added to the publisher. In The Witches, a paragraph describing them as bald under their wigs was followed shortly by a new line. There are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. <sighs> Please give me a break. I'm going to make a point of buying the old versions of all of these books so that my kids can read them without worrying about this stuff. Absolute nonsense. Puffin said that a statement last week that they will release two versions of each book, the original and the newer edited ones. Francesca Dow, Managing Director of Penguin Random House Children's, said at Puffin, We have proudly published Rolled Doll Stories for more than 40 years in partnership with the Rolled Doll Story Company. Their mischievous spirit and his unique storytelling genius have delighted the imaginations of readers across many generations. We've listened to the debate over the past week, which has affirmed the extraordinary power of Rolled Doll's books and the very real questions around how stories from another era can be kept relevant for each new generation. This ain't it, Chief. This is not the way to do it. You don't fix someone's being insensitive by changing their words posthumously. That's not a good way to go. That's dishonest to its core. As a children's publisher, our role is to share the magic of stories with children with the greatest thought and care. Roald Dahl's fantastic books are often the first stories young children will read independently, and taking care for the imagination and fast-developing minds of young readers is both a privilege and a responsibility. Yes, such a responsibility. You have to go in and change the words. You have to add lines that he never wrote and not tell anyone that he didn't actually write them. Heck, why don't you just rewrite the whole book and pretend that he wrote it and you make it say whatever you want and you make it as inclusive and intersectional as you want. You could even literally give it the same title, The Witches, that he had on his original book. We also recognize the importance of keeping Dahl's classic texts in print. By making both Puffin and Penguin versions available, we're offering readers the choice to decide how they experience Roald Dahl's magical, marvelous stories. 
She added, Roald Dahl once said, if my books can help children become readers, then I feel I have accomplished something important. At Puffin, we'll keep pursuing that ambition for as long as we make books. For example, a former ambassador named Habiba helped author Robin Stevens ensure authentically inclusive characters in her books, The Guggenheim Mystery and Mistletoe and Murder. The organization also works with publishers to modify existing works for republication, but Dahl's case marks the first time the group has gotten their hands on the treasured collection of a world-famous deceased author. Reach for comment, a spokesperson for Inclusive Minds stressed that ambassadors are not mainly responsible for suggesting changes to existing works, a task reserved for sensitivity readers, but did acknowledge that they are occasionally involved in providing feedback. We do think those with lived experience, oh, there it is, can provide valuable input when it comes to reviewing language that can be damaging and perpetuate harmful stereotypes, the spokesperson said, adding that ultimately publishers decide what to include in the final published book. Publishers and authors pay various fees per ambassadors to review services on new manuscripts and illustrations. It's unclear exactly how much Puffin Books paid inclusive minds to soften Doll's prose. This is ridiculous, and I'm very sorry this is happening, but this is a clarion call. This is something that is going to be happening more often. We need to wake up to this, and I'm really going to recommend everybody go out there and buy the old versions of these books, and definitely not from this publisher, not from Penguin. If any other publishers sell his work, you should look for it there instead. But speaking of the they-them pronouns, I have some good news. Resumes, including they-them pronouns, are more likely to be overlooked, a new report finds. Look at this, they-them. Very sad. Inclusivity shouldn't just be present in the workplace. It should be practiced during the hiring process as well, said CNBC. Thank you for telling us just the news. We do appreciate that. No editorialization here at CNBC. But unfortunately, non-binary job seekers are facing clear biases during their job search. Good. There is no such person as a non-binary person. That's not real. You made that up. That's someone who wants attention. According to a new report from business.com, a business resource platform, over 80% of non-binary people believe that identifying as non-binary would hurt their job search. Similarly, 51% believe their gender identity has affected their workplace experience very or somewhat negatively. Okay, so how about you identify with the gender you were born? I know, that's crazy. You really want to be special. It can make your life a lot simpler if you did. Ryan McGonagall, director of industry research at business.com and author of the report, says these statistics show just how much work there is to do around diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging in the workplace. We clearly have more work to do on these several fronts. Over the past 10 years, DEIB efforts, what is DEIB? Please stop have been prioritized by many companies. However, the results of this study and past research show that teams in most industries aren't proportionally representative of the U.S. population. And worse, many people like the non-binary individuals we spoke to in our research feel like they don't belong. Yeah, that's because they don't. I'm sorry. They wanted to be special. They wanted to stand out from the crowd. Congratulations, they do. And now they're like, oh my gosh, we stand out from the crowd. We're not fitting in. That's what you wanted. That's literally what you wanted. You hate this culture. You hate everything it stands for. You literally hate the gender binary and the fact that there's only male and female. So you call yourself non-binary because you want to be special. Come on, I get out with it. That's all you want it for. 
is ridiculous to me, but let's read on. We'll struggle through the CNBC bias. Business.com also went a step further by sending two identical fandom resumes to 180 unique job postings that were explicitly open to entry-level candidates in an effort to test whether or not the inclusion of gender-neutral pronouns impacts how employers perceive resumes. Let me stop you right there. If you have an employee who just doesn't give any pronouns at all and just gives like a masculine or a clearly feminine name, cool. But if you get someone with very special pronouns who puts them into their resume and then is like, um, just so you know, you're going to need to refer to me by these pronouns or else we're going to have a real problem. Who is going to make your job as a hiring professional easier? The person who's just like, my name's Ryan or my name's Anna. And then has nothing else to add to that. You call me she, her, my name's Anna. You call me he, him. My name's Ryan. Cool. Fine. Awesome. Super easy. Straightforward. But you want to be a they, them in the workplace? You're literally a walking liability, especially given HR and all this DEI nonsense. There is no way in hell that an employer is going to want to employ you over and above somebody who's just like, hi, yeah, my name's Eric or whatever, who doesn't really care about the pronoun nonsense. Someone who doesn't care about all these pronouns is going to have a leg up against the non-binaries. And I think that's exactly how it should be. The test resume included they, them pronouns under the name in the header. Yeah. See, so they're specifically listed, whereas she, her, and he, him pronouns were not tested. The fandom resume included pronouns, uh, including pronouns received 8% less interest than the one without and fewer interview and phone screening invitations. Of course. Again, of course, if you use pronouns and you walk into a company that has any kind of HR office, you are a liability and no company in their right mind is going to be like, yes, that person is going to do a better job. And I know this because they've currently, they are currently attempting to make themselves seem more special. We're going to go in their direction. Here we go. Check yourself and hold your team accountable. No. No, no. You hire people who are going to cause you the least amount of trouble. Period. It's really, really simple. You don't hire people who list their pronouns under their name. That's absolutely nonsense. And this is the simplest thing in the world. Do you want to take on somebody who's going to cause legal trouble for you down the road? Or do you take on somebody whose pronouns are their last thoughts? who don't care, who assume you're going to call them she, her, or he, him, because that's just how they were born and they don't consider themselves special. I pr- I'm pretty sure the choice is pretty clear. Let's see what their conclusion is. Oh, great. Company leaders should also be proactive in re- preventing these situations through employee education and conversation. Help your team members understand what it means to truly be inclusive and consider different perspectives. No, No. How about not? How about you save man hours and just say, if you see these pronouns, don't even worry about that person because that person's going to be a pain in the neck and they're going to make our lives a living hell. Just stay away from them altogether. You can never make them happy. I really hope this is what employers are starting to realize because it's true. You will not ever make them happy. You're never going to get to a point where they're not a liability. You'll never be out of the woods with them. Things are constantly changing. And something you said yesterday with these people is going to come back to bite you tomorrow or next week. There is no way to placate them enough that they're not still a liability to your company. They will never be an asset ever. 
And I really hope that companies realize that 100%. I can't help feeling like people like Kevin Leary definitely understand that on a very visceral level. Like they have to be looking at all this pronoun nonsense and just being like, wow, I think I'm going to stay far away from that stuff. That sounds like really bad nose. news. Bad news, not bad nose. Good nose. Oh, everybody smile says my name actually is Ryan. That is the most general male name I could think of. St. Miles says, I need more coffee listening to this story. I know, it's not very fun. Planet Fatness says, cringe indeed. It is very cringe. Not at all based. Whisper says, we bought a bunch of rolled doll books for our kids' collection. Very good idea. I was thinking about that too. I have a bunch of siblings. As you guys probably know, I have five siblings. So I was thinking maybe one of the things that we should do is just set up a book exchange where we send each other. Once we all have kids, there are still a few of us who don't have kids yet. Um probably the best thing we could do is set up a book exchange where we send each other like a big old stack of books once every quarter or something, and then they can go through it and the kids can enjoy it. Wake Up Waverly says, fantastic, Mr. Fox. Yes, that one was really, really good. I loved the plot on that one. It was so relatable. Zidon says, I recall the witches was good at least when I was a kid. Yeah, well, they've changed it now. Serenko says, it's not even a good edit. That's what annoys me the most. Yeah, seriously. St. Miles says, like, history remolding literature. Yeah, they're literally trying to rewrite this stuff. Andy says, maybe she's not having sexual relationships with more than one person at once. So she's asexual. So she's in a poly polygamous relationship, but she's just like, no, go away. I'm not having relations with any of you guys. We're just in a relationship so we can all pay rent together or something. I have to ask, do you guys think that polyamory is actually just a bunch of people who are like roommates who literally just team up so they can all afford rent in these fancy bougie cities they choose to live in? That's just my thought. I have no idea. Zin says one of them is 30 years old, probably identifying as eight. No, I don't think that's the case. I think they actually had kids. St. Miles says, um, she is what? Yeah, it's a lot of words because she wanted that perfect intersectional plaid. And that's what I'm going to call it going forward because plaid is when you see the intersection of all these different lines and it creates this kind of beautiful pattern that's really memorable. I can't help feeling like that's exactly what they're going for. I mean, it doesn't work. Like at the end of the day, they're just going to have more and more problems piled on more and more problems and they're never going to solve them because if they solved one, it would mean they wouldn't be a victim in that regard. So yeah, they're never going to fix this stuff. Lori says she means her truth. Yes, in the case of Nina Jankowitz, definitely. Thank you, St. Miles, for the super chat for dipping Dot Treats while I go and make coffee. Have fun making coffee, for sure. We certainly appreciate that. Dippin' Dot will love that. I took Dot on her, well, like her fourth walk now, and she is having so much fun being outside, but she keeps getting distracted by all the people. She gets distracted by... Puddles, piles of snow, rocks, trees, branches, grass, gravel, dirt, other dogs, other people, cars, and fire hydrants. Yeah, so she has a long, long list of things that distract her, but when she gets out and she's just like frolicking, she's adorable. I'm going to have to take some more videos of her walking. If you guys want to follow hers and Dips Adventures, they are over on the Lighter Dips on Instagram at the lighter dips, L-E-I-T-E-R-D-I-P-S. Yes, indeed. Ryan. Keenan Smith says Ryan. No, Ryan is a male name. Although I have met a female named Ryan. All right, you guys, this is a good pal of Pete Buttigieg's. He even made a post to social media a good while back talking about two mayors getting beers. 
The other mayor in the picture was this mayor who is facing child sexually explicit material charges. Um, mayor, Maryland mayor facing these charges previously said Pete Buttigieg was his mentor. There's literally photographic evidence of this. It's horrifying. College Park, Maryland mayor Patrick Wohan was charged with 56 counts of possession of child explicit child sexual material. The Maryland mayor charged on Thursday has visited the White House several times since President Biden took office and previously described Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg as his mentor. Indeed, indeed, here they are in a picture together. Then South Bend, Indiana mayor Pete Buttigieg with then College Park, Maryland mayor Patrick Wohan. He was arrested and charged with 56 counts of child sexually explicit material related counts on Thursday. I don't know if you guys remember this, but South Bend, Indiana was actually the city where the potholes were so bad that Domino's Pizza filled them. Do you guys remember that story? Domino's Pizza filled a bunch of potholes so they could deliver their pizzas faster to people. That was in South Bend. I believe that was under Pete Buttigieg's mayorship. Mayorship. Not sure. But we should look that up for sure. While this investigation does not involve any official city business of any kind, it is the best interest of our community that I step aside, he said. While the population of College Park is less than 40,000, its proximity to Washington, D.C. has allowed Wohan, who has been in College Park's mayor since 2015, to rub elbows with several powerful politicians, including a top Biden cabinet official, and make multiple visits to the White House. That's so great. I'm so happy for him. According to White House visitor logs, Wuhan visited the White House once in 2021 on July, June 25th. He would then make two more visits in 2022 on June 15th and September 13th. According to his Instagram on the White House website, he was in attendance at an event commemorating LGBTQ plus Pride Month. Oh, look at that. He's an LGBTQ plus activist. That's crazy. Never would have seen that coming. There was a heinous story that I actually intentionally did not cover about a gay couple that adopted two boys and then proceeded to to use these boys as sexual objects and to market them out to their friends. And these gentlemen were very big activists in the gay community. And everybody was up in arms. Actually, no, there was little to no media coverage about that. But the people who were commenting on it were saying, don't let this change your view of gay people. This is not every gay person. And everyone else was like, this is the most sick, disgusting case that I've ever seen. And I can't believe you are choosing to prioritize ideology over the life and well-being of these two boys who did nothing to deserve this. It was very sickening, and I am just very grossed out by the activists who pursue this kind of thinking. Um, the kind of connection between these activists and these ridiculous kinds of crimes is just deeply, deeply troubling to me. You want to talk about a slippery slope? There certainly is one here. The secretary did not know the former mayor was well, but did meet him a number of times through participation in U.S. Conference of Mayors programming, conferences, and political events. The one Instagram post dated June 25th, which included two pictures, Wohan posed for pictures with Buttigieg and his husband, Chasten. The caption reads, Always great to see these guys at the White House. That's right, because they're in the same club. They are both functionally gay activists. Like Pete Buttigieg has made no secret about the fact that he's gay. He posted a picture of himself and his so-called husband with their 
with their sons, whom they had just had surrogated. They took a picture in a hospital at the peak of the pandemic in a hospital bed with no masks on at a time when we were being told that hospital beds were incredibly short supply. When we were told that we couldn't go visit our own loved ones, that we had to wear masks everywhere. These guys, because they were special, were doing their own thing, were purchasing a woman's womb for the purpose of developing a child in utero and then taking that child away from their biological mother because they wanted to have that child and pretend that it belonged to them. The other two White House events he attended were a Pride Month reception, which included a signing of an executive order on advancing LGBTQI individuals and a ceremony celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. In addition to the three years, uh, three lip visits listed on the White House website, Wuhan made three additional visits in December and January, which will not be released on the White House website until March 30th and April 30th. In December, he posted several pictures of the White House web's uh, interior, which included Christmas decorations and a caption that read, Happy Holidays, enjoyed the opportunity tonight to see the stunning We the People holiday decorations and celebrate the season. Another post he was tagged in on the Instagram revealed he was at the White House when Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act two days later on December 13th. That's right, because, again, he's an activist. The January 2023 visit occurred January 20th and involved the United States Conference of Mayors with when White House officials touted historic investment in cities. His tweet shows multiple top Biden administration officials, including Biden senior advisor Gene Sperling fascinating. In addition to his White House visits, he was also posted pictures with several Democratic lawmakers on social media, including then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Rep. Jamie Raskin of Maryland, former DNC Chair Tom Perez, and Buttigieg, among others. On the September 2020 Instagram post, Wohan thanked President Biden for his leadership and included a picture of a Zoom call that Biden was leading with the U.S. Press, the US Conference of Mayors. And it will help us to make critical infrastructure investments. He added, this would never have happened without leadership from Biden. So he's a political hack and he is an LGBTQ activist. And now he's being charged with not one, not two, not three, but 56 counts of the possession of child sexual assault material. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, Matthew, thank you very much for your super chat. I just wanted to send money without a silly sticker. Thumbs up. Rock on sign. Thank you very much, sir. We very much appreciate it with or without a silly sticker. I like the silly stickers. That's what Adrian always sends. We appreciate them in either case. Keenan Smith says, in the South Bend, where the gay, uh, gay mayor who approves of the he, she, her, she highway, don't mind the big holes, LOL. In fact, let's fact check that right now. Domino's fills potholes. Domino's paying for pizza stunt fills potholes in what city? What America's mayors think? Oh, gosh. Who cares? Let's see. South Bend. No, it's not going to tell us what city it was in. Okay. Thank you very much for nothing. Eater.com. Paving for pizza. Domino's is uh, donating funds. Okay. So this is... Oh, wow. So they did this in a bunch of cities. Interesting. Milford, Delaware, Fitch, Fitchburg, Massachusetts, Anchorage, Alaska, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Let's see. Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. Look at that. Huh? Fascinating. Uh, let's see. South Bend. I want to see what year this was done. 
2016. When was Pete Buttigieg mayor of South Bend? Was it during 2016? 2012 to 2020. Hey, look at that. This was during Pete Buttigieg's tenure as mayor. That is the least surprising thing I've read all day. Good for him. Not even able to fill potholes in his own town, and now. We're not at all surprised that he's not doing a good job as transportation secretary. No shock, shock there. Keenan says, even with all the negative publicity, I still think that Mayor Pete is going to run for president. Also, the governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper. I don't think. I think Pete Buttigieg probably knows that the nails in the coffin on his presidential bid.、Um, I don't think the fact that he is homosexual is going to save him now, especially since he is a white male. Um, I don't think he's intersectional enough, and I think that between the child sexual abuse material charges so close to him and his ridiculous handling of East Palestine, I don't think he's going to have what it takes at all. All right, on the topic of pronouns, I want to talk about this, and then we can go over to a couple of stories that are actually good news. Schools are pushing gender pronouns and hiding it from parents. I mean, this is kind of something that we knew already, but let's look at this more thoroughly. A new report reveals students in the nation's largest school districts are encouraged to change their names and pronouns without parental knowledge, even though those same schools require parental approval for over-the-counter medicine. Shock. The report, released by the Defense of Freedom Institute for Policy Studies, found that eight of the nation's 20 largest school districts allow students to use names and pronouns at school aligned with their gender identity, without parental knowledge and consent. Said the institution. So that's 40 percent of these districts are really putting kids up to this. This is crazy. Yet these same districts, including New York City Department of Education, Los Angeles Unified School District, and Chicago Public Schools, all the usual suspects. Require parental permission to dispense over-the-counter medicines to students at school. So, what is the difference between the pronouns and the medicine? Why are they working so hard to hide this kind of stuff from parents? Is it because they know that the family is the enemy of the public school state? I think it is. These are government schools that are in diametric opposition to this family. Structure, and I think that they know this, and I think it's becoming very clear. And I don't think people are going to continue to stand for this. Now, I could be wrong. I also thought that Americans would act more like Americans when it came to COVID restrictions, but I would like to think that people will stop and look at this and be like, "Holy crap! I can't believe this is happening. Why are they doing this? What is their bigger, like, overarching goal here? Because it's crazy." Dozens of parents spoke to the New York Times last month, saying that keeping secrets from parents is a stab in the back from the school system. The Times details the work of a transgender clinical psychologist, Dr. Erica Anderson, who is advocating for parental rights. It's well established that one of the most important factors in helping gender-questioning children is family support, she told Fox News Digital. So to deliberately deceive, deprive a child of support at a time potentially when they most need it is, I think, a serious error in judgment. It's morally deficit. Let's call this what it is. This is a moral deficit. It is an ethical failing. It's active ethical malpractice, as far as I'm concerned. The Defense of Freedom Institute report said there are serious risks that come with changing how children interact with teachers and peers. The interim guidance from the United Kingdom's National Health Service explains that early social transition in children is an active intervention that should not be viewed as a neutral act. 
The survey said a wide range of lobbying groups such as GLSEN, the Human Rights Campaign, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the National Education Association authored a guidebook that recommends schools discuss gender pronouns with students while cautioning them to be prepared not to inform parents. This is one of the most disgusting things I've heard. Of course, it's the Human Rights Campaign. Of course, it's the American Civil Liberties Unions. And of course, it's this teacher's teacher's union. Wild. The Defense of Freedom Institutes recommends governors, legislatures, boards of education, education agencies, school districts, school boards, and schools push back against such guidance to ensure that parents direct medical and mental health decisions for their children. Most importantly, parents should know their rights and demand transparency from their schools, the report concluded. Yeah, seriously, I'm glad that they give some kind of solution, but is anyone surprised that it's the ACLU pushing this kind of stuff? I'm certainly not. This is exactly what I expect from the ACLU. They no longer defend American civil liberties because, um, if you'll recall, the ACLU defended Nazis and they certainly defended gun rights. No, it wasn't Nazis. It was the KKK. Yep. They, uh, yeah. ACLU praises Cleveland mayor's support of KKK's first amendment right to march. This is from 1999, August 3rd. The American Civil Liberties Union today praised the Cleveland mayor, Michael White, for his efforts to protect the first amendment rights of marchers scheduled to rally in Cleveland later this month. August 21st rally by the KKK has been the source of considerable controversy with some community leaders critical of the decision to allow the Klan to march at all. But the mayor of Cleveland said they could, and the ACLU approved of this decision. Now, all of this happened before Trump. And I think what happened with the ACLU was that when Trump came along, they fundraised off it, and then it turned out that they couldn't go back because that's a ratchet that only goes one way. If you are leaning left and then suddenly you stop leaning left, you have to stop moving backwards. You can't move toward the right because you will lose all of your fundraising. And that's not going to work. If that's how you chose to go about gathering your money together, you're going to run into a problem if you decide to change your stance. All right, you guys, time for some good news as we wrap this up. Daily Wire's Jeremy Boring launches a new chocolate company in response to Hershey's woke trans stunt. I thought this was amazing. I'd like to watch the ad. I hope they don't give us a copyright strike. Let's see if we can do that. And I love an international woman. But our friends over at Hershey's, they don't even know what a woman is. They've hired a biological male to be the spokesperson for their Women's Day campaign. And they're calling that campaign, and I swear I'm not making this up, Her-She. Her-She. <sighs> it's humiliating. And it's the reason that I'm launching Jeremy's Chocolate. We have two kinds. She-Her. And he-Him. One of them's got nuts. If you need me to tell you which one it is, keep giving your money to Hershey's. (laughs) So that's Brett Cooper on his right, and that's Michael Knowles smiling uncontrollably on his left. At least Brett is able to maintain her composure. She looks very tall. I don't remember her being that tall. I took a picture with her, and I don't think she's as tall as I am. She must be wearing super um, super high heels in this one. She's wearing a very classy outfit. That's probably part of it for sure. 
I thought it was an amazing commercial. I thought it was great that he said International Women's Day and then he immediately smacked a woman. And everyone's like, oh, that was a high five. And I'm like, this is you. This is the joke. It went right over your head. My joke was that he's smacking a lady on International Women's Day. Obviously, he's not actually smacking her. It is a great high five. I agree. The promotional bars that Hershey produced for the feminist holiday are named Hershey to represent women, despite being promoted by Faye Johnstone, a trans activist who has spoken publicly about wanting women with different political view- views to be so vilified that they don't dare speak at all. That's disgusting. That's what we're up against. And I say this jokingly, but I really do think that the Daily Wire is in- is on the right on this 100%. This is what it looks like to fight back. This is the parallel economy. And I know it sounds silly because it's chocolate or whatever, but this is really something that we need to keep in mind as we go about purchasing the things that we purchase. First of all, Hershey's is disgusting. Let's get real, including even the dark. And I love dark chocolate. Theirs is not dark enough. It's revolting. It's cheap. It's mass produced. And if I recall correctly, they have horribly unethical company practices, I think, relating to water. Let's see. Hershey. No, this is all about Hershey, Pennsylvania. I think this was in California. I think it was Hershey. I'm not sure. Oh, it was Nestle. That's right. Okay, never mind then. Hershey at least doesn't have as awfully unethical practices as Nestle does for sure. But at the same time, they're right that they were using literally a biological man to make a point about femininity. Such a slap in the face. Honestly, humiliating. I am embarrassed for them. And I'm really looking forward to being able to sink a little bit of money into their chocolate undertaking. I think I might have to do that right after the show is over today. So they have packs of four, packs of six, and packs of like 10, I think. These are not cheap chocolates, but honestly, I do think that this is something worth buying because, not necessarily because this means uh, I will buy them instead of Hershey's. I almost never buy Hershey's anyway, but it's very important to me to send the message that it is important that we have alternatives to these companies who genuinely think that it's appropriate to use a man to make a point about a woman's International Women's Day. Not that I care anything about International Women's Day, but this is just such a slap. It is. It really is. This is like when they put Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of whatever Vanity Fair made her the woman of him, the woman of the year or whatever. It's like, it's gross. It really is. It's like when Leah Thomas is winning all these competitions. It's just, we get it. The patriarchy wins. Men are better than women. Everything. Can we at least have something that we're good at even on International Women's Day? No. Okay, cool. Thanks, Hershey's. Appreciate that. That's wonderful. So, I loved what the Daily Wire was doing. I appreciate the Daily Wire doing stuff exactly like this. We love Jeremy's razors. I love um, the idea of having an alternative to Hershey's. And I think that they should certainly follow through with this until they become an actually um, viable competitor to um, Hershey's for sure even though Hershey's is a huge company. So that's awesome. Go buy Jeremy's chocolate. That's amazing. Also this, Walgreens says it will not sell abortion pills in 20 Republican-controlled states, even where it's still legal. So for a while, there was a lot of talk about these pharmacies going ahead and selling 
I think plan B pills. Um, CVS was thinking about it. Walgreens was thinking about it. Well, in this instance, Walgreens is saying they won't, at least in red states. The pharmacy chain assured 20 GOP attorneys it will hold off on dispensing pills. Even states that maintain legal access to abortion asked Walgreens not to sell. Scripts for the abortion-inducing medication can be filled at other pharmacies. The nation's second-largest retail pharmacy will not sell the abortion-inducing medication Mephestoprone, even in states where abortion is still legal. The major chain is walking on eggshells amid growing pressure from anti-abortion policymakers and activists not to carry the drug. Mifepristone makes up half the combination used to induce a medication abortion. Walgreens responded to a letter sent last month by nearly two dozen Republican state attorneys general threatening legal action against the company if it stocked the medication. In response, they said they would not dispense the pills either by mail or at brick-and-mortar stores in those states. In some of the affected states, such as Alaska, Iowa, Kansas, and Montana, using the pills for abortion is still legal. It comes just a couple months after the Biden administration updated a regulation to allow mefestoprone. Mifepristone, I think I'm pronouncing it wrong, but also I really don't care. I don't give the slightest bit of respect to this medication or what it does. Part of the two-drug cocktail to induce miscarriage to be stocked and dispensed at pharmacies to pregnant people with a prescription. And again, Daily Mail, you don't need to call them pregnant people. They are only women. Only women are pregnant. Really, really ridiculous. But I was happy to see that. I'm really glad to see Republican local leaders taking steps to kind of encourage this particular company not to do this. Because I was like, where else can you go? If all of these drugstores are selling these medications, then what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to make a point if there's nowhere else you can go to fill like your prescription that you got from the doctor? It doesn't make sense. All right, you guys, thank you very much for joining me. I'm going to go make dinner for Andy and we're going to start planning out our weekend. I hope you guys have a great weekend as well. Um, I'm sure that ours will be good for sure. And I will try to get a video of Dot walking outside. She is just delightful. Let me see what you guys have to say. Milfoprestone. Milf yeah, I have no idea how to pronounce it. Yeah, you're welcome to make make fun of my pronunciation for sure. Like I said, I do not care. And he says it's really like the administration is purposefully choosing incompetent people in order to disguise the the various money laundering schemes as plausible failures. Possibly. Possibly. Christy says, I think the show, this should fall under HIPAA laws for these children. The state law has no business being involved. Kind of inclined to agree, but I'm not sure how pronouns are classed. It's not technically a medical transition. St. Miles says, thanks for the Instagram link. Kids look like they go into instant sleep mode once in your arms. They must feel safe indeed. So Dip really likes to get into Andy's arms and then flip over and try to hit things as he walks around. So Andy will like walk over to the wall and Dip will put his paws on the wall like this, like he's pushing away. And then in the last picture I think I have of them on there, he is threatening to slash Jad's throat. It's very exciting. So it's a great account over there. At the Lighter Dips on Instagram, we have a good time. Dips adorable. Dots adorable. It's a good time all around. All right, you guys. Thanks so much for joining. Remember to hit like, subscribe, share, tell everyone to watch and join us so we have a really fun chat every night. All right. Until next time. Bye, guys.
How's it going? 